Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. The events business has been hit one of the hardest since the pandemic started. To shed some perspective on the industry and how it's changing, I invited Cheryl Gentry from Glow Global Events to join us. Cheryl is a 2020 Inc. 500 honoree, ranked one of the top people in events for two consecutive years, and one of the most influential women in business. Welcome, Cheryl. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much. Congratulations. I understand. What is it like to be number 145 on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing private companies in the United States? When you say in America, that sounds overwhelming with all of these small businesses in the U.S., but uh, I found out uh, late July that we made it and they were going to email us uh, our ranking on August 12th, so I was embargoed, but I accidentally opened an email because I wanted my sister to videotape me and my reaction getting my rank, and when I saw 145, I just thought of all the hard work that I had put in over the last three years because they do... um, uh, um, they do their, the way they uh, monetize it and the way they look at it is how you've grown your business and the percentages and the, um, you know, how they look at it to review it. And so when I realized that we were 145, I immediately thought back of all the work that I have done, all the hard work I've done over the last three years to grow that. And so thinking back about my strategic growth plan that I put in place and then looking at to where getting the uh, announcement was just amazing. Yeah, and I don't think people really have a an understanding. Like you're out of five thousand people, you were the like the fastest growing. You're one forty five. For you're not even in the Inc. five thousand. You're in the Inc. five hundred. Yeah, yeah. And even with probably the honorees, it's probably more people that enter. So when you think about, they've selected five thousand, but just the list of everybody that has an opportunity to apply and enter the awards. Uh, it just becomes even more competitive. So like I said, I did my strategic growth plan about three years ago. I knew I wanted to be in that space and I knew I wanted to be there, but actually having Inc. Magazine recognize me on that space was uh, was just phenomenal. And in fact, you know, last night I went back to look at my strategic growth plan and uh, I was happy. I, I think I hit all the milestones. I look at it every year, but I went back through and everything that I wanted of how we get there and how we get to that revenue uh, was listed in my plan. So you have to write it down. That's amazing. Maybe I, I can use your strategic growth plan to help uh, us out. <laughs> so I know your whole career, most of your career in the past few years has been devoted mainly to events. How did you get started in the space? What were some of the challenges? What were your pivots? Yep, I think uh, you really have to be a certain type of person to be an event planner. And and because I was always the event planner, even as a kid, my parents would have a huge Christmas party and I always was planning that. And what we do now is on a scale way bigger than a Christmas party, but it really takes a different type of person to one. uh, And in fact, Forbes magazine says that event planning is one of the top 10 most stressful jobs one of the reasons is it's task heavy. 
and it's deadline sensitive. And so you have to be the type of person that can deal with that. You're always on deadline and you have so many tasks to get one thing and to have the final event uh, produced. But after college, I actually majored in human resource management. I started my first event business and then I moved to New York and started in the music business uh, in the marketing department. But I found myself working late and really having fun with all the album release parties. And so every time there was an artist signed, we would have to have an album release party to kind of introduce them to the world. Mm -hmm. And that catapulted me to an amazing position uh, in the fashion industry where I was director of promotions and PR. And again, it was the fashion shows, the seventh on six shows that I would just light up. And then my mentor said, start your own business, start your own event marketing agency. And that was in May 1st, 1998. So we're 22 years in business here in New York. That's amazing. Wow. And so how do you know, like you're talking about the kind of person you are, how do you, what do you, how do you stay organized for the next big event? So with events, like I mentioned, the, you know, it's task heavy. Really, we like clients to give us nine months minimum to really plan. Although now that we've pivoted to virtual in these last four months or six months or so, we have really had only 10 days to produce some events. But a big part of it is over the years, what I've done is put systems in place. So we have, and we've moved beyond, event planners use a lot of Excel documents. We have a system that we have in place that one, our timeline can give us exactly what's due. Um, I spent a lot of time laying that timeline out, but as soon as we sign a client, all we have to do is put the date in and then it populates every other task in the date that it's due. And I, you know, early on, I backed into the dates. I, I had someone help me that knew Excel really well. And we created this document that really helps us put our tasks together. So with having all of our systems in place, that's what keeps us really organized because we're dealing with so many stakeholders, one, the client, but mm -hmm. then everybody that attends our event is a client too. So we have to make sure that all of our touch points between the client that we're communicating what we're doing, our speakers, our honorees, we're doing speaker toolkits to make sure everyone's expectations are met once they show up to the event or once they go online with us. And then all of our attendees from the moment they get the invitation, what questions they'll have, creating FAQs. So the prep to even once we are ready to face the public with the event, has gone into several painstaking hours. Mm -hmm. And that tool that you're using, that's an in-house tool, kind of like a smart Excel spreadsheet. Are you using any other event management tools? Yeah, so we, we have our internal um, systems in place, uh, but then we work with a couple of different, we work with a couple of different platforms. Um, events Air is one, and that's like our registration uh, project management tool. Uh, that also has the event microsite where we ask questions and collect data from all the attendees. For some of the virtual events, we've been using Hopin. Uh, we use Zoom, but we kind of uh, take Zoom to the next level and use our technical producer to really insert, customize uh, title slides and session descriptions and backgrounds. So it's not typically what you would see in Zoom. We've added what we call a graphics package to that. But then also some of the other platforms we use is all seated. 
uh, social tables for kind of the table rendering or when we do galas and we need to have uh, seating assignments. We use Zipster for kind of check-in. Um, so depending on the client needs is really depends on what platform we use. Our team stays up to date on what software is out there, what platforms are, we need to use. And then based on the client needs, we always send out a survey to all of our clients so we can understand from their words what they need. And then we build the needs around what they need. Now, I'm going to go back to a few events. And one of them, we had food and wine coming and, you know, 20 minutes before 250 people were supposed to show up for an in-style event, the food and the wine wasn't there, uh, which is very stressful. <laughs> but yeah. what do you do when things like that happen and when something doesn't go to plan? So we always have a plan B, and that's one of the reasons why you have these systems and checklists in place. Because if the caterer uh, was to arrive four hours for the event, you would never want a caterer to arrive between an hour and two hours before the event. You want them there on site four hours before the event. If there is a delay, they can explain to you what happened. And then perhaps you can order from somewhere else if it's appetizers or open the bar a little bit early. But typically we also have our bar vendor and our catering vendor sometimes separate. So if there is a delay, if they got stuck in traffic, I remember we did an event last year and our florist was stuck in traffic and it was a breakfast. And so he, he got there before the event, but he was setting up right before the doors opened. And the other thing is you need to manage your client's expectations. And so even though he had arrived before the event, he was still setting up in the room. The client was crazy because they knew that he was late and we had to do other checkpoints throughout the venue. And they're looking at him like, there are flowers on the floor. Are we going to be able to get this up? And so always having a plan B uh, set up, one, so we won't stress our clients, but then making an intelligent decision far enough in advance that it's not going to stress us. And so those... <laughs> Sorry. Have... <laughs> What'd you say? I said, it's just, I just am going back in my mind at how stressful I it was when there was no food and wine. Yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And, and it really is, you know, we always say never let the client know until it's absolutely nothing we can do about it. And so we've had some disasters on our hand. Uh, we did an event in Berlin and the hotel came to me and said, the kitchen flooded. We may have to use, um, move your event, your dinner to a different ballroom uh, because the kitchen behind the ballroom we were using flooded. And I, you know, I, I said, I'm not going to run and tell the client immediately. Let's look at worst case scenario. Let's get the fire department here. Let's get the chef here, what we can do. And it turns out that we didn't have to move ballrooms anyway. But if I would have gone to the client and said, oh my gosh, we have to move. There's a flood. They would have gone crazy. Right. So a big part of event planners is we need to be the calm. You know, we need to remain calm uh, until we find out what the uh, what the problem is. I always tell my team, don't come to me and say what the problem is. Come to me and say, there was a fire. The police are, the, the fire department's on their way. There were 10 people in there. They're out now. Like, give me all the solutions before you just come and say, there's a fire in the kitchen. Right, right. Very, very good intel. And I could say that you definitely kept me calm when we did events with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
So now, you know, social media has kind of changed events, like going back to not the virtual, but real events. Um, are you seeing a lot of people using social media, streaming live from events? What are some of the preferred channels that you think are most effective? Absolutely. Uh, social media, even though, you know, it's always been a big play in what we do, it's that on steroids now because people are using all of the live options with all of the platforms. We actually right now love YouTube for streaming our clients' lives event, live events because it's going to live on YouTube. You can further engage. YouTube has now added a donate button. Um, you can engage your clients during the live via their chat feature. So even with all of these companies, they've stepped up in their capacity of what they're offering. I know people have seen how Zoom has stepped up with some of their security. And so each of these technology platforms are stepping up. Uh, outside of YouTube, I think uh, Facebook Live is my next platform. And one of the reasons why I like Facebook Live is because Facebook, even though a lot of influencers have followers on Instagram, once it leaves Instagram, it still needs to live somewhere else. And so you'd have to put it either on Instagram TV, you'd still want to upload it to YouTube. Um, but between YouTube and Facebook, they've done a really good job of people finding uh, their video and understanding really how to engage their audience a little bit further. In fact, I think with uh, Facebook's new format uh, layout, that videos are right up at the top now. And I, my, at least my page uh, pings or lights up when there's a video that's ready of someone that I'm following. Mm -hmm. So they've made video even that much more searchable. I wonder why it's not that easy on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, you know what I think, uh, and, and you know, they're owned by Facebook. I think they're looking at every way. I don't think everybody used Instagram TV yet. I do think people are using the Instagram Live, uh, which is good, but then you still have to, uh, do extra work and then upload that to either your YouTube or your Facebook channel. So out, out of the box, I like the YouTube and Facebook for sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, obviously events have been canceled and we'll get into virtual events in a minute, but what are some innovative ways that, you know, brands can stay or your clients um, or you're helping your clients stay top of mind with influencers now that so many events are canceled? Yeah, this is where uh, across social media platforms, we are re re recommending and mentioning to all of our clients to really amp up the social media. And one way to do that is they can produce more content through video. You know, let's face it, everyone has, you know, 10 seconds uh, before you lose their attention. But video has really been able to capture people's attention. And so what you should be doing and what we recommend to our clients and what brands should be doing is not only recycling some of their video content, but looking at that video content and creating bite-sized snippets, even if it's just a sound bite. How do you use bookends before and after? How do you look at some of your old content and turn that into a commercial? And so this is an opportunity to really not just produce new content, which you can immediately upload on, on a YouTube, I've seen so many ads that come in now and it's literally people walking down their driveway talking about their product. Mm -hmm. And so allowing, allowing the brands, allowing our clients and even, you know, influencers to recycle some of that content that they already have um, and introduce it to a new audience. Yeah. And so when you're doing 
the virtual events, which, you know, how much, like, are all your clients now saying, let's just do a virtual events? What do your virtual events look like? Yeah, so luckily, only one of our clients moved their fall event to next spring. Uh, every other client, uh, we convinced to move their event virtually. Mm-hmm. And within each of the, the needs of what they were looking for, we've been able to present different options. So, for example, we have an event that was supposed to be in North Carolina at their convention center in Raleigh, North Carolina in November. 4,000 attendees. That wow. client, uh, we, we were luckily that we were able to convince the client to change this to an all virtual platform. We are using uh, some technology, a, a platform called uh, Conference Compass. It's allowing us to bring in our speakers. It's a, a part of that event. We have a reading room where we have celebrities come in and read uh, parts of a book. Uh, we have a film uh, that we are doing. Um, at, you know, we have judges filming kind of a um, filming awards. And so we're uploading films for people to watch. Uh, It's almost kind of like a virtual film festival that we're creating within that event. And then we have about 30 sessions with speakers. We have about five keynotes. So it's a really robust event, but we are, we met with several uh, vendors uh, when we decided to convince them to go virtual. And at the time, we didn't even really know the capabilities of all of these uh, platforms out there. Mm -hmm. And so we did, you know, our due diligence and we were on demos with every platform I could think about. And we decided on Conference Compass because they had uh, some graphics packages that we could add. They had all of these different rooms where we can accommodate. They had a high level of customization. Some of the platforms you can't customize that much. So we decided to go to go with that platform. Now, we've done a um, cooking class with a celebrity chef. For that client, we decided to do Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chef had two cameras, and so we were switching back and forth between his uh, cutting board uh, camera and then his face-to-face camera. So I always like to tell our clients, these virtual events are like producing a TV show. Yeah. My yeah. producer, he's on the switcher. He's switching from you know your headshot to, for the example with the chef, to his other camera, we've done, and like I said, we really look at the platform. We did a, an event uh, over the weekend and we had the DJ in one room. Um, uh, JP Morgan Chase was a sponsor. And so they uh, sponsored the marketplace. And so we had several vendors that were able to either upload a video or have a marketplace where you could click their shop button. And so even within this virtual space, you can really make it almost like it's live. We've sent custom boxes to some attendees. Uh, we've sent food so everybody could have dinner together. And, and we actually coordinated that. Those attendees were all over the country and we coordinated that with Uber Eats. Oh, and wow. Delivered dinner to uh, 20 of the attendees and they all had dinner together. So we're really thinking outside of the box on how to engage the attendees uh, to make sure that they stay focused um, on how to produce the, to, to attend the event. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of our, you know, the shift and like how to be creative with the virtual events. Definitely. There's different platforms. Are you allowed to say, cause I know people are going to ask, cause we get a lot of these questions, something like com- conference com- compass, what's the charge of that? Or would you prefer not to disclose? 
Yeah, no, that's pretty expensive. That's, um, I think it's at about 30,000. Yeah. Now, the, the reason why is because, like I said, for that event, we're having the film festival, you know, we're, we're having the bookstore, the reading. The more you need, the more customization you have, the mm -hmm. more expensive it gets. Mm -hmm. But say, for example, a platform like Hopin, um, on their lower end, I think it's about $500. And so it, it's this, it's a different level of engagement. It's not, you know, their logo hop in is still in the upper left corner. So you still see that, but you can really get your attendees in that room and kind of get and curate a uh, experience for them in a platform like that. So we've seen them really, and even Zoom, I think so many clients think uh, Zoom is cheap. By the time you start adding the webinar features and if you go over 500 attendees, that's another fee. And if you have more than one host, that's another fee. And if you add panelists, that's another fee. I mean, those fees start getting more expensive. We do one event for a client and Zoom alone is $2,000. And so you really just have to, you know, budget's always a major concern, but there are a lot of platforms for different use and needs. Yeah. Yeah, we've, I mean, for most of ours, we've been using Zoom, but there's also, I think that a lot of our clients are also kind of doing these virtual events that aren't real time. They're pre-recorded virtual events, which is interesting as well. Um, I don't yeah. know if it's that engaging, but that's kind of some of the outlets are feeling safer just pre-recording and it's kind of a virtual event that's not really live. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of pre-recorded, but we've been uploading it live. So we're doing this event, everything's pre-recorded. We are managing the chat so people don't know it's pre-recorded. Mm -hmm. um, and we are scheduling it and we're announcing it that it's going to go live. But this event's actually doing UN General Assembly Week. But we're announcing that the event's going to go live uh, at 6.30 p.m. on September 22nd. And so even though it's been packaged and put together and pre-recorded, it'll then really feel more like a TV show. That's um, awesome. and, and people won't be able to know that it's pre-recorded. So I guess my question is, I mean, I had a call with someone who runs a networking company and he's like, isn't everyone just zoomed out? How, and, and I think, you know, there's two sides of it. Some people are like, I'm using this time to just do webinar after webinar because I want to learn and I have nothing else to do. And other people are like, I'm zoomed out. How do you keep, keep people engaged during a virtual event? Yeah, that goes back to some of the customization. You know, we send out custom boxes We've been really successful with uh, our corporate clients on doing breaks. And some of those breaks uh, are our customer engagement as well. So we might say, grab something on your desk that you got when you were on vacation. Mm -hmm. And everybody will grab something. But then it's really fun to see, you know, what's in arm's length, what's near you that you can then tell a story about. So it really becomes about storytelling. In addition to these Zoom platforms, uh, they're getting to know each other in a different, better way. But then it's also helping with people's communication skills. How are they explaining what they receive? For the um, the chef, the cooking event we did, uh, while after after they cooked every, after they made dinner, uh, we were sitting there, and the client we we convinced them to do I guess the refrigerator. And before the event, everyone sent us a picture of their refrigerator. And while they were eating, we <laughs> did a video. We showed everybody's, we put a picture up of everybody's refrigerator. We used the poll function and everybody got to vote on whose refrigerator they thought it was. And so it was really just interesting seeing people's refrigerator that was 
very neat, that was junky, that was healthy. (laughs) And so it's interesting to then people can get to know each other. Some people guessed right away whose refrigerator it was. Some people you couldn't guess. So it was another level of engagement for people to get to know each other. And it's Um, fun. And it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Um, Another one we did, the scavenger hunts have been really successful. And so what we've done, even to engage uh, a little bit further, uh, when the questions read and people have to run around their house to select an item, we're embedding music. And so a minute of music will play while people are searching. We've inserted a buzzer that buzzes when it's over and then everybody comes back to their computer and they're saying what they found uh, during the scavenger hunt. So those are some of the little things that we've been throwing in. Um, Any event that's outside of really 45 minutes, we've been convincing the clients to throw in some of these other engagement elements. And even with the polling um, and also offering Amazon gift cards, which can immediately be emailed to them without having to send a physical gift card. Mm -hmm. And people are more likely, like everybody wants to win something, right? So if you say, you know, it's an Amazon gift card, people are actually going to engage and play. That's awesome. So I guess the, you come up with the programming, but is it just one producer that's doing all the graphics and the music and all that? No, we have a whole team. And that's why I think clients, one, think it's they think it's going to be a lot cheaper. It's not necessarily that much cheaper. So we have uh, three technical producers, one's a switcher, one's managing audio, and then one's cleaning up any video. So they handle all the prep. They also are on the calls. They bring the speakers in from the green, what we're calling our virtual green room. They prep, they talk, we do rehearsals. So that's the tech side. And then we have our event planners that are managing registration. So we're, we're building out registration platforms. And that's different too, because Zoom, of course, you can register. Some clients use Eventbrite. Uh, hop in, we've been taking registration. Uh, we've had a C event, we've used their registration portal. So it depends on whether the client already has that subscription and we use that platform to register guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we send out, you know, oftentimes we send out attendee toolkits because if it's a platform, they need to know what the expectations are once they get on. We send out speaker toolkits. We make sure any platform that we're using has a detailed level of analytics on the back end. So for example, how many people are going, uh, how many people are registering, how many people are logging in, how mm-hmm. long are they staying on once they log in? Because we do have some clients that are giving um, CPUs. And so to get those credits, they actually need to be on for longer than 15 minutes. And so we don't want to lose people. Mm-hmm. And so there's all, so it's it's typically about six people. Um, sometimes we'll manage the chat feature. Sometimes the client will, uh, but we come up with, you know, pre-FAQs that we work through. So if anybody has a question, we'll already have that content ready to pop up into the chat feature. So it's about six people that are on board for the virtual events. That's amazing. Yeah. What do you think, and this is a tough question, what do you think the future looks like for the event business? I was on a, a, a Zoom last week, a webinar last week about the future of the event industry. And I said the future is now. Uh, Every way, every opportunity, every innovation that we're thinking about 
this is going to be the future. Hybrid is going to be the future because another thing that we always do with our clients is do pre-event surveys. And not only are we going to have to do that with the client now, we're going to have to do that with the attendees because there's going to be some attendees that will absolutely convene and come on site. But there's going to be another segment of that population that isn't going to go on site until there's a vaccine. Um, if they are or have family that is in a high risk category. So we're going to be doing pre-event surveys to kind of assess the tolerance of where, where people are, whether they're going to show up for convening. And if we do a live event, a part of that hybrid, and we've done live casting for years, a part of that live is going to have to be live streaming to another audience who doesn't want to come live. Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like? And, you know, if we normally would have done a, a dinner with 500 people. Maybe that dinner is now 250. It's a smaller room, but we also are now streaming that live to another segment of our audience that didn't want to show up on site. Yep. And I, I think, think, I think the hybrid is going to be here. Uh, and like I said, we've always done live streaming and, and hybrid for a lot of clients, but I think the hybrid is here to stay for at least the next four years. Yeah. And I think that there's so many opportunities. I mean, look, we do influencer marketing, right? But now our boxes, everyone's like, wait a minute, you could send a box for an event to someone's yeah. house. We can't get the products to their house. They could tune into an event. So I think there's just so much, you know, you just kind of have to open your mind and, and kind of think about all the different ways, like what you said with Uber Eats, like brilliant, like everyone got to eat together. Do you know what I mean? So there's just I so remember much. when this first happened, and you know, you and I spoke, and we were trying to convince one of the venues that we had booked um, to do um, the food box uh, with their signature champagne. I don't want to mention which venue it was, <laughs> but they weren't able to pivot and offer that uh, because they didn't have a fulfillment house um, to really get the packages out to the attendees. Now, Great Performances is actually doing that. We're partnering with Great Performances to actually send out meals, like do a meal kit. Mm -hmm. And so it really has to be, and I know people didn't think this was going on so long, but you and I were on the call, I think, March 16th, like, about what we can offer, you know? And it has to be that type of person, that type of business that'll say, here we are now, where can we go and what can we offer now? Because it's going to, you know, you never know when a catastrophe is going to happen, but it's actually thinking how we address the customer and how we address our clients right when it's happening. Yeah, no, I agree. And you've been doing great stuff. So I definitely want to have a follow-up call and share and learn more about what we're both doing. Here's a question that's a little bit off topic, but I always ask it because it's uh, my curiosity. Um, And it's the last question, but name an influencer you love to follow, but hate to admit that you do. Ah, uh, uh, so I, because of COVID and, and everything that's going on, I decided to start my own YouTube page. And there is this cute young girl who goes through how she built her YouTube page. She is Aaron, Aaron on demand, I think she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I absolutely love her. I follow her on Instagram. I follow her YouTube religiously. Um, She is a uh, marketing digital agency um, and she's showing 
step by step by step on what her lessons learned were and her personality is just great. And so Erin, she's not probably huge, like, you know, a big, big influencer, but I think she has over a hundred thousand or so followers on, on YouTube and she is just absolutely delightful. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, always learning more from you, Cheryl, you're amazing. And congratulations again. Um, wishing you all the best for the rest of the the summer. And hopefully we'll see each other one day in person soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thanks for having me today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Beyond the Box, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Beyond the Box is brought to you by Babblebox with your host, Sherry Langbert. Visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets.